Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pierre Pressure Podcast. It's nice to be back. It's been a few months. I've taken a break. Obviously, as we know, the world has been turned upside down the last year, and everyone's been coping in the best way they can. This podcast has always been a really fun way for me to talk to musicians that I respect and meet people that I have always wanted to talk to about music and politics and how the two intercept. The last few years have been really intense in American politics and have caused me a lot of anxiety personally, and I tried to do everything I could to do my part to try to right the ship and steer things in direction that I think is more positive for this country. Uh, right now, we're in a better place, uh, thanks to the last election, um, and I'm happy to be talking to people now again uh, on Zoom and on the phone and on computers. I'm looking forward to getting back in person and meeting and talking to people. So to restart the podcast after a long hiatus, I was really pleased to speak to my friend Eleni Mandel. She is an LA-based singer-songwriter who's been putting out incredible records since her debut, Wishbone, in 1996. All her albums sound amazing because she has some of the best musicians there are playing on them, and her singing and songwriting is some of the best that there is, in my opinion. I've always been a huge fan of her solo work and also her side project, The Living Sisters, which is a three-part, sometimes four-part female harmony project. She also has another band called The Grabs, which we'll talk about. I met Eleni in 2006 in Nashville when our bands ended up on the same bill. And since then, we've continued to be friends and we've collaborated on a few projects together, which we'll talk about. And it was great to catch up and figure out how everybody's coping with being a musician in the post-pandemic world and also just surviving as a creative person. We also talked about navigating family, life, and music, and she's a mother of twins. So we had a lot to check in about. It was really a joy to reconnect with Eleni Mandel. Before we get to my interview with Eleni Mandel, I would just like to ask you to please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please go to pierredeguillon.com to find out about my upcoming events in music and to see previous episodes of Pierre Pressure Podcast. I have a concert coming up on June 26th with my band Mellomane, playing with Chris Brokaw, formerly of Evan Dando and the band Come. That is at Arts on the Lake in Carmel, New York. So come to that. It's going to be an outdoor concert. Lots of fun. I also have an upcoming concert with my project The Shrimps playing live stream from California Hill Studios on April 25th and a new album coming out by The Shrimps that I played bass on and recorded at California Hill Studio. I also have a brand new top secret project called Body Kite coming soon. New recordings from Open Kimono and a brand new album from Bad Reputation which I'm working on now. And I'm extremely pleased to announce that Bad Reputation will be doing a live show in front of a limited audience of 12 people for their Dirty Dozen series on May 21st. Looking forward to that. Barbez is one of my favorite places on planet Earth, so I'm very, very excited that they're back in the business of putting on shows in front of human beings. I'm also composing music for Global Water Dances, which is a dance project in Putnam County. So a lot of stuff coming up. Keep in touch. Look forward to seeing you in the post-pandemic vaccinated world. Please enjoy my conversation with Eleni Mandel.
Actually, I was thinking maybe that was sort there. It's sort of political in a subtle way, writing about women in prison. Absolutely. I was thinking that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the thing is with this podcast is I started it as a response to the overwhelming anger and helplessness that I was feeling in the Trump era, you know, yeah. and we sort of got through that, I guess. And so now I'm, it's, this is kind of the first, the, the first podcast I've done since since the election so it's it's interesting because it's like i was super focused on the politics of it all but i really enjoy talking to people like you who are super talented musicians and who make great music so there's sort of two focuses to it uh yeah so i got married we bought a house we were long distance for a long time because he was based in boston oh okay he just moved out five months ago Congrats. And we bought a house in the valley. Okay. And all the years that I disdained my childhood home area. Did you grow up in the valley? I did. Then when we moved, the pandemic made me like suddenly stopped playing music. Music seemed like the dumbest thing. Like, why did I ever pursue that? What, like trying to promote yourself it just seemed like suddenly like the dumbest thing that you could do with your life <laughs> the pandemic made you feel that way yeah why because so suddenly it was i don't know it just sort of like the world defocused and refocused in this different way suddenly my family my brother my sister my mom my aunt my you know like all the family that i have here that i'm close to they were suddenly the only people in my life, really. Yeah. And so that sort of like, you know, your priorities, all of our priorities have just like shifted so tremendously. And the idea of like, do I look cool? Am I young enough? Am I pretty enough? How do I get people to my shows? Will my record sell? How do I get, you know, can I get on a tour? Does anyone care anymore? Like all of those things that are so focused on, on this like elusive idea of success in the music industry just felt so ridiculously stupid. <laughs> Out well, of the blue. Okay. I understand. I mean, partly by necessity because we weren't able to perform in person anymore. Yeah, so exactly. that part of it. But are you saying like, oh, I should be finding a vaccine for COVID? Like what I do is so unimportant. <laughs> no. Because I mean, that I think all musicians go through the why the hell do I do this stupid thing thing. Yeah. But and then you have to realize like you're making music that makes people happy and makes people feel really good. And it's like everyone needs music. It's like not everybody needs soy sauce or whatever but yeah. everybody needs music like every human yeah, being I, agree. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I guess i sort of you know i i didn't i don't think i put anything on social media for like six or eight months yeah but i was still looking at it but i didn't like weigh in on the election and i didn't weigh in i just suddenly felt like i can have my life anonymously or privately mm -hmm. I can yeah. have my night, my life privately. Yeah. I don't need to share that I know a celebrity died 
on Instagram. You know, I don't need to like publicly express my, that feeling of helplessness or of horror or frustration. I just felt like I can, I can have life privately. And that makes sense. Yeah. And then, so when I saw all these musicians that I knew posting on Instagram, like, I'm just going to give this gift of my music to you. Here's my little show. It just felt weird. I couldn't do it. I completely understand. I know. I felt, you know, that happened to me for the first six months, which is why I stopped doing this podcast too. It was like, really? Like, because I feel like a lot of people were so preciously showing how they were coping by playing their little guitar in their room. And it's like, I don't really care. Like we're all doing that. It's, it's a really healthy, I think, um, instinct to get private and like shut out the social media and just reset with that. Right. Yeah. And then on, you know, on top of it, I have these twins who are now 10. Yeah. My son with many years of kind of struggling to figure out what's not working with him, what's different about him ultimately was diagnosed as high functioning on the autism spectrum. Oh, wow. Okay. And here he comes. Hold hey, on. <laughs> Rex, right? Yeah, Rex. I, listen, I, this is fascinating because I've had sort of a similar experience with my son. Well, for many years, I clung to this idea that he had ADHD. Yeah. Because if you read about it, they're like identical. They're very, um, very, very linked. similar. Yeah. Well, he now he's, it's just considered that he has both. Okay. But his his version of it is basically major behavior issues and he can get very physical. Mm-hmm. So with the pandemic, suddenly we're in an, a small apartment all together. This before we moved. It actually was a big apartment, but it felt started to feel very small. Yeah. So that survival thing that happened to everybody and pushing out the outside world and suddenly we're... It's family, basically. There's nowhere on the moon, no wind, no rain, no sound, no tune, no fortune to gain. There's no fun in this town, no music or dancing, no shade trees around. Um, but yeah, I guess having a a kid with these issues, it's like your life becomes about survival Totally. and planning, you know, it's like, how can, why I would ask myself, why am I not expressing my, my support for BLM or expressing my, you know, get out the vote or all these things. And I think really like, I'm in my own world of survival mm-hmm. that is so all consuming. There's no music. There's no watch my show on Instagram. Um, it's just like, am I going to die? Cause I went to Trader Joe's right? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like at target um, or, and can I set my son up to have a healthy future and not just him, but 
my daughter as well because she's so impacted by his sure i understand that so well anyway that's what i've been up to and then of course i got a day job that i didn't want ever to have but i like suddenly having a regular paycheck yeah pretty transforming so you became a teacher i teach seventh grade english wow that's great (laughs) yeah i went back i went to grad school four years ago for you yeah i yeah i didn't want to being a teacher is the hardest thing in the world because i'm i've been forced to be a teacher to my two third graders for eight months yeah and it's impossible i mean it's so it is the most complex endeavor i've ever tried to be a part of i feel like you can never do it like being a mom like being a dad you can never do it in all the fantastic ways you think of in your mind it's just too complicated there's so many outside factors and it's intense so i'm teaching seventh graders who are 12 and 13 and uh some of them come to me reading at a second grade level oh wow so and i'm like uh, I, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's just a, what a crazy time, but you know, we also, I feel like incredibly like, I, I don't know how to say this without sounding like totally insensitive, but in some ways we have gotten a lot out of this strange time. You know, it forced me out of the apartment, the one bedroom apartment the three of us lived in. It forced me to make this geographical change that's improved our quality of life. And um, I don't know, just a lot of things kind of got better for us in many ways. Yeah, I get that. I think that's that's something that's okay to take away from this pandemic is that like it reset people in the in a better way, in a lot of ways, if you made it, I mean, if you didn't get super sick or die or, you know, it yeah. was hairy and it's a lot of people weren't so lucky, but there are some great things to take away from it for sure. I do think that like resetting and be, you know, just suddenly having a quieter life, not feeling yeah. like you needed to be anywhere. I know it's almost scary to think of giving that up. <laughs> like, oh my god i don't know how we'll go back i know i'm vaccinated my wife and i are so now we're like kind of ready to yeah i do am it. too you are good yeah because you're a teacher that's good i actually got vaccinated before they opened it up for teachers because of rex having autism oh okay it's yeah it's complicated but okay well i want to talk to you about music too i mean you're <laughs> I, I i know you're gonna know get back parenting- to it Parenting. Parenting is great. And I could talk about it. I mean, we have such similar things going on with the twins I know. And, and school, homeschool and all that homeschooling. But And do you love that you moved out of the city? Oh my God. So happy. I mean, we See, moved out. Exactly what I did. Oh yeah. I mean, I, we moved four years, five years ago and never looked back and I could not be happier. I love it. My God. Yeah. The pictures I've seen of the forest and frozen ponds it's pretty idyllic it's pretty nice my god the suburbs are pretty great too the suburbs yeah yeah my kids just ride bikes around you know that's fantastic so you're like in the suburbs what town are you in van nuys van nuys van nuys (laughs) 
That's great. I mean, listen, it's good. It's good. But so you, the last album you released was like a year ago, right? Wake Up Again? Uh, I guess it's two years ago because last year was the pandemic. <clears throat> so It was before uh, the pandemic yeah. that you released it. Yeah. Yeah, two and years ago. So let's talk about it because it's really... Yeah. It's really beautiful, and thank you. I, you know, I heard the story about you teaching uh, at women's prison. Yeah. So I'd love to hear more about that. And the Jail Guitar Doors is the name of the organization. Yeah, that was the yeah. organization that was. Billy Bragg. But well, Billy Bragg, and I didn't know him, but I the other guy, Wayne Kramer. Thank you. Oh my God. It's okay. I, there's, <laughs> I have nothing left. It's crazy. I'm, I've got, I got your back. I've got, I've got uh, yeah, notes. Yeah. I've got notes. I was at a party and a friend of mine, I overheard him talking. Isn't that funny? I was at a party. That's, <laughs> in the olden I know. Day. What's that? <laughs> What's a party? There were people there? Yeah. You could hear them heard, talking through their masks? Oh, they weren't wearing masks. Yeah. What? <laughs> I know. Weird. Um, yeah. I heard him talking about having done like a one-off with Wayne at the men's jail downtown. And Wayne was in the MC5. He's like the one of the main dudes of the MC5, right? Yeah. yeah. So my ears perked up and I was like, I want to do that. So my mother's father was a felon. <laughs> okay. Um, he had, I only heard stories about him. I never met him because he actually disappeared and lived under an assumed name. We found out after he died. Did he, but, this is after he went to jail, I guess, right? He, he went to jail more times than I was even told about when I was little. And even talking about it publicly, my mom, you know, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, it was like, don't tell anybody about yeah. it. it. There was a lot of shame of it. But I was just fascinated. Yeah, I just wanted to understand. It was so mysterious. So anyway, I had an interest in criminal justice. I had an interest or like fascination or curiosity about how does somebody get to that place? And then a, my really close friend from college became a public defender. And I for two weeks, I worked at the federal public defender's office. Oh, wow. I was hired as an investigator, which oh is God. sort of like, I I'm you excited. know, like I always had this detective-y kind of interest. I couldn't, I couldn't do that at that time in my life. I was in my twenties and, you know, I really just wanted to have a music career and, um, reading about murder of young girls. I was like, I can't do it. Yeah, I had to read the cases. Oh, um, I'd have to go to like courts and get go through microfilm. It was like a combination of the most monotonous, boring job and the most horrific, terrifying stuff. You know, they hadn't even shown me what they call the murder books yet, where you see the crime scene photos from the crime scene. Yikes! So I was like, "There's no way I can do this." I think that's why I was I was intrigued with with working in the prison and it was really rewarding. I felt like 
bringing music to these people. I was doing something positive in the world, like using music not to promote myself and my career or try to sell something, but to share that, um, that like gift of creating with other people. Well, that's something that happens even when you're not working in a prison, but it's a good way to give you the perspective on why music is important. I think it's also, it's also, uh, getting back to, you know, our year in pandemic, it's like, I often think about people in prison. I'm like, this is their life all the time. You know, we're, we're only allowed to, you know, we can't go outside and we have to watch Netflix and cook dinner at home. Like, and it will eventually end. But I think about people in prison all the time because this is their life always. And it like, I feel it deeply, you know, it's like, we're, we're getting a little taste of like imprisonment and it's not fun. She's a lock that's been locked. The keys are in her pocket. She could walk right out the door, but she refuses to unlock it. It's just so fascinating and sad. One of the things that I I was so surprised by when I did that work was how much we would laugh when we were working together. Um, there were just a lot of things that were interesting and inspiring about it. And Steve some of the songs from your album were inspired by those people that you met and by some of the songs that were written. Almost like, all of them, yeah. We've been listening to your music all the time the last few days at home and in the car, and my daughter said, can you ask her where she gets the inspiration for her songs? Uh, <laughs> I know it's a large question. My daughter's yeah. really into music. By the way. <laughs> oh, Hi. That's Rex. Hey, what's up, Rex? That's I'm Pierre. Pierre. I have twins, too. Hi, They're a little younger than you. Hi. I know, but I'm now 10. And... You're a big guy. I want to answer your daughter's question. Yes. How do you come up with ideas for your songs? Um, so mainly I have a feeling mm-hmm. or a person about a situation, whatever. And then words come into my head mm-hmm. and then I write the words down that I really like. That's, That's pretty much it. That's great. My, my daughter's yeah. a songwriter too. So she'll be really excited to get advice from one of the greats. Thank you. Sweet. I love your new record. And I, I think that Milo's an amazing guitar player. He's great. I don't remember if I've ever seen him play with you before. Or like he's played on and off with you over the years. or Because I know the other two guys. and I, They're awesome. And they've been with you forever. Yeah. Ryan and Kevin I've played with for years. Milo and I never really played together. Um, before that record came out, we recorded four songs together. Okay, yeah, you on now you recorded one as part of the tribute for you, which I want to talk about too. That yeah. That tribute album, which is amazing. There's so many great people on that. It's 
outrageous. Yeah. It's so cool. You no, know, it's so weird. It it's feel. I remember like when Anara said that she wanted to do that. Of course, I was extremely flattered, but simultaneously felt really embarrassed and insecure. Hmm. Well, you, know, you shouldn't be embarrassed. It's so. This is the record called um, "Unsung Heroes." Unsung Heroes, and it's a tribute to Eleni Mandel, one of the world's great songwriters. <laughs> Thanks. And there's all these crazy heavy hitters on it, like you know Jackson Brown and Van Dyke Parks, and on and on and on. I like, know, but it's, it's so awesome, Michael Andrews. It's, yeah. And Harper Simon, who I didn't know, I, I like heard his name, but I went and checked it out, and he's great. I mean, everybody yeah, on there is great. There, yeah, there were a ton of people who I admire, but I, you know, one one person, and I won't say which one. When we were um, sound checking for the show that we did, the, mm-hmm. so we first did a show, and then we either did another show or it was. Then people recording it, Anara wanted to do. And it was all for charity. It wasn't like. For the Plastic Pollution Coalition. Yeah, she was partnered with. Um, so it was her idea, the whole thing. She's like, I want to make this album. Or first it was like, let's yeah. do a concert of all your songs. Yeah. And then the concert that. went well. And then, yeah. So it was all Anara. She was doing this. Yeah. Um, but at the sound check for that show, you know, because what you it's not like people are calling you up and saying, I've always loved this song of yours and I want to record it. Mm-hmm. It's more like they have to go through your catalog and choose something. And I felt like really self-conscious about that. Oh no, they're going to hate it or they're going to think it's bad or they're going to think it's dumb. Or Well, why would they think that if they're already on board for doing the show? If they think that they're probably not going to do the show. I have no idea. And I'm an insecure person. I'm just an insecure person. But then at the sound check that day, one of those people came up to me and said, plagiarize much. What? Yeah. What? I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. So, so there was that like, there's a cattiness backhanded kind of, you know, cutting you down, taking you down a notch vibe. And, um, Wait, this is, let me just get this. Like you're about to do this show and this person's agreed to sing one of your songs and you're at a sound check and this a-hole decides this is a good time to come and say something shitty to you. Yeah. Wow. That sucks. Yeah. I I hate to say this, but it feels really LA to me. I know that like, that's an easy thing to say. It's like my instinct was that people were going to feel that way. Yeah. Like this jealousy want to take you down. Mm. And then it actually happened. <laughs> well, anyway, that was the, sh- that was the bad part of it. But then the good thing was, was all was these other artists who were loving your music and making it yeah. and doing these really cool versions of it. Yeah. Actually my favorite song that was recorded, um, my friend Alex Lilly did. I always knew someday I'd hardly recognize your face. You'd barely recognize my name Now we're strangers And just like that you'd see It wasn't meant to be Not even close to me Now we're strangers 
Alex Lilly did Now We're Strangers, which was not from one of my records that I really ever played those songs that much. You know, you know, like you make some stuff yeah. and the, the songs in your life for like a year and then yeah, you never totally. played again. Yeah. So that was one of those, but I really love how she recorded it. When you listen to the Unsung Heroes and you hear all those people, that collection of songs, it's like you can make your songs sound good and you always do. But like when you hear just how strong the songs are on their own, when they're sent out to all these incredible and different performers to be redone, it's cool. Should be proud. Yeah, it's cool. It still kind of embarrasses me, though. Oh, Eleni. Oh, it's probably just because I'm Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have that guilt or something's got to be wrong, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> still have to figure out where to hide. I don't know where, I don't know when. We'll call each other friend. But I won't miss you until then. Now we're strangers. And she, I read that she was in The Living Sisters, but I don't, there was a third, a fourth sister. Yeah, there, the first record was just the three girls and then she joined. She joined because Anara was pregnant and couldn't do some stuff with us. So Alex filled in and then we just loved Alex and didn't want her to go. Is she on the Christmas album? She is, yeah. I love that album so much. It's She's so the one who awesome. wrote Skip the Sugar, which I think is probably one of the best songs on there. It's so funny. There's so many good songs, and I, I just got it for this Christmas because I didn't even know. Because, like, I love the Living Sisters, the first album. I just play it and play it and play it and play it. Thanks. And then we didn't even – I didn't know about this Christmas album. Ordered it, and it came in time for Christmas, and we played it Aww. constantly. It's so Yay. good. <laughs> I love it. I like how it's kind of – irreverent about christmas well it's a healthy mix well i felt it was my my duty to throw in a hanukkah song or two it's great I love Milo's guitar tone. Like he, there's this crazy thing going on with his guitar where it's coming from two different places at once in on the record, the new record. It's like, I don't know how it was recorded, but this is just kind of a nerdy guitar thing. But I love the tone that he got in the crazy yeah. reverb where it's, it's yeah. coming from two very separate places. I love it. Yeah, it he great. could tell you. I have no idea. But he is an insane guitar player. And he practices not an exaggeration like five hours a day maybe more that's just like all it's like guitar 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 he went to berkeley school music okay and he has you know he makes his own song records and everything but i have such a different relationship to music i don't practice (laughs) you've been writing songs for 30 years and like you've written, I don't know, probably 100, 200 songs or something. I've never counted. And it's like, you're so prolific. And I think practicing the guitar is a different thing than practicing songwriting, like just being open to songwriting.
I mean, I play guitar as a way to write songs and sing. I don't play to be a guitar player. What comes first, the lyrics or the music? I mean, almost always lyrics, but sometimes music. I'd say I'll get an idea from a word or a phrase or feeling, and then maybe I'll write the word down and but and then the song will come with music and words together and sometimes it'll be more um lyrics and then kind of shaping them to for a song so i guess i'd say most of it's to all comes together but it's always inspired by words i love words yeah that's what i tell my students all the time yeah i just love words the new york times just had an article like Pop music has changed. Has it? The the chorus <laughs> is gone or something. Right, right, I was right. like, this would me, you know, Milo was like, did you read that? I'm like, this means nothing to me. I'm not in that business. You're still a person who makes songs that have parts and have choruses and I just when I, I taught I also taught songwriting at this for-profit college called LA College of Music. Mm. So I was doing the prison, I was teaching at Cal Cal Poly Pomona, and then also at this music school. Great. And the LA College of Music for-profit school is all about pop music. How to mold these kids into having careers in pop music. So I was like giving some private lessons and students would come in and say like, um, you know, pre-chorus. I'm like, what's that? I don't know what a pre-chorus. <laughs> it's interesting is. to know that. So they're they're taking lessons in how to write a song that's going to be a pop song, or how to be a business person, or both. Both. I mean, they're doing okay. all of that there. Okay. But I. It's came really at important it from, to know the business part of it. I wish someone had taught yeah, me that. You know. Yeah, for more sure. Of it, like they know. have a class just on you know, publishing. Yeah. That's but great. It was weird to teach there because. I don't know. I mean, I w- I had a lot of fun coming up with random tasks for them to do. Um, one thing I like to do is I would play music for them, and then I would ask them to just write any word that came to mind. Choose mm. five words. Okay. And it was really fun. Now you have to use those five words In to write segment. your own song. Great. Um, you have 20 minutes <laughs> or something. That's I was great. like, I would like laugh and tell my friends, like, you're not going to believe this crazy thing I made them do. But sometimes I'd play the music, like I played Tangled Up in Blue. And this one girl said, that's not really a song. <laughs> and I was like, uh, probably shouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> Why did she think that? Because it's so long and repetitive? Because it didn't have a pre-chorus oh. and it didn't have, you know, yeah, it's super interesting the idea of a song. I mean, you can take it so far. Like you can say, like, is hip hop? Are there songs in hip hop? I love hip hop, but like, are those songs? I wouldn't call them songs, but that's okay. I mean, I, I'll listen to it and love the shit out of it. You know. So what's a song? And like, I've asked people this, like, on this podcast, what's a song? And I think people avoid it because they're like, who cares if you like it and you listen to it? And <laughs> what does it matter? What, what it's called? Song? Yeah, music with words and melody. 
it's interesting because then because on the other hand you've spent 30 years like or i don't know how many years uh 12 years since you were a teenager um (laughs) (laughs) perfecting perfecting the this craft that's really interesting and you know it's still it's really fun I yeah, actually fun. finally started playing music again. All I that whole like spiel at the beginning, I stopped. I did stop. And then one day I started again. Of course you did. I would be like, I mean, come on. What are you going to do? Just not play anymore cuz you're mad at COVID? I mean, I know a lot of people, I'm not saying I'm not <laughs> trying to pick on you, but we're all feeling that way. We're like, what the hell is going on? No one can do concerts anymore. Blah blah blah. I've done a bunch of Zoom concerts and they're so they're so sad. They're kind of like you play and you're done and then nothing, you know, it's so weird, but uh, I've had some live shows like that, but it's true. (laughs) Right. (laughs) True. There's so many parts of creating music. You know, it starts with your own self, your like satisfaction, excitement, hopefulness when you write that song that you feel is good. And then, for me, the next thing is, oh, I want to collaborate. I want yeah. a bass player. I want another person yeah. to like, feel it with me. Yeah. And then you record it. So there's like all of those steps. And then ultimately, the thing that I feel is most important and, and the best feeling besides that initial, mo- I don't know, maybe you can't have a best feeling because they all feel, you know, it's all so good. But sharing it with an audience like i just love love performing and yeah covid sharing it with an audience is so much fun well we'll get back to that you know we will but it's also really exciting when you first hear a song that you recorded and you're the first person to hear it and you're like this is my favorite i you get to make me i think the goal is to make your favorite song so you can hear it at least yeah. for that moment, like the first time you hear it or record yeah. it or one of the, you know, mixes, you hear the first mix, you're like, oh, this is awesome. I mean, the only bad <laughs> part, I guess, about creating music and sharing it or whatever, I feel like the only bad part is when you're trying to sell it. Exactly. It's like you're climbing this beautiful hill and it feels so good. And then you get to the promotion and selling and then it's poof. Totally. I mean... I don't live off my music. I've given up on that. I, and so I feel like I'm kind of lucky that I don't have to worry about that because <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. You know, it's like I'm going to keep making it and people will keep listening to it and you'll get an email and, or you'll get a thing every once in a while with someone saying, I love this so much and this is making my day. And that feels great. You know, yeah. you're like, I yeah. did that. Um, well, it's amazing to be released yeah. from that thing. Yeah. You- you want it so badly to just have a career in music yeah. and then when you get released from it it's a relief in a way. Yeah. it is because you're not going to stop making it or making it any worse or not get not taking it as seriously it you just have the freedom to not stress about the selling part yeah exactly you like a few years ago you changed from like playing your little acoustic guitar all the time and you got like mm-hmm. a big electric guitar like a hollow body Are um, you writing on, how does that change how you write? Like what guitar you're, I never write on a, I don't think I ever write on electric guitar. Oh, you don't, Maybe you never I do. Have, okay. I, don't, 
I have, I rarely play my electric guitars. I have two, one that I was my first guitar from when I was 16, mm. my 16th birthday present, my ES-335. Oh, you have an ES-335, <laughs> yeah. nice. It's really sad. It just stays in the closet. That's a sweet guitar. It's a vintage guitar. guitar at this point. Yeah, it's probably really- Milo played it a couple of times on the record. Nice. I remember perfectly. I don't know. It's fun to play it. I have one of my favorite pictures of me performing is with that guitar. I just felt just like so strong, you know. <laughs> so I see that picture and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm tough. That's why they call it an axe. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. That the other thing about getting older, having not to hustle your music anymore. Cause you're just out of that game, I guess you just realize like, I don't need any more guitars. I'm not <laughs> going anywhere. <laughs> I'm just like, I wish I could feel that way. Oh, <laughs> I've yeah. got a little bit of a guitar problem, but uh, <laughs> it's under control yeah. right now. Um, but it does, it, it can be really inspiring if you get a, Different a different instrument. instrument exactly that's that's more it like you get a different instrument you're like oh this sounds different it feels different you, or you pick up a ukulele or something and you're like oh cool what can i do with this i think you play a lot of instruments though i do i like to i'm getting better at the drums i i actually take drum lessons i've been playing them for years and years and years and i took a lesson and someone showed me the right way to do stuff it was really interesting that's so fun yeah i like playing i like to be able to play stuff well enough to record it and then fix it and i will respond play a slice of cake perhaps a drink i'll have an old-fashioned of course what do you think you like you wrote that song about being old-fashioned which i love mm -hmm. i'm old-fashioned and then so like what's your relationship to like technology and the way things are being recorded more and more and more my first three records were recorded on two-inch tape, and my friend Brian Keyhue, who um, worked with me on those records, we would, you know, talk about like Pro Tools is evil. Yeah. And on one of those records, I think it's on Thrill, it says no computers were used to make this record. Right. And I got some like, like how dare you? <laughs> I can't remember. Someone like <laughs> wrote me an email like. You're such a snob. I don't know. But you really do lose your snobbery when you can't afford it anymore. Exactly. It's just a pur pure economics. But but yeah. you never, like, got into electronic stuff on your records or, like, you keep it pretty pure with the instruments. I yeah. I mean, we've, I mean, the Living Sisters, we had some crazy keyboard keyboardy stuff on mm -hmm. that first record. This really insanely talented musician we know named Aaron Embry he played like some I don't even know you know keyboard but like with all of these things <laughs> that go with them that made all these weird sounds okay <laughs> um so there's some of that but nothing you know I I'm way too lazy to get into electronic doodads because <laughs> I mean which is I think takes away of, from songwriting and playing i guess so i i mean in some ways i just know myself some ways i'm just lazy you right. know i could be recording myself but when people started all having their own studios i was like i don't want to be an engineer I'm yeah not gonna 
father. But now sure. all these younger people, like former students, they know how to do everything. Yeah. And that's certainly empowering. And it is. A better path. <laughs> it's a nice path to have if you can do it because it definitely takes out the middleman. But it, I feel like it also takes away from just creating sometimes because there's too much yeah. to learn yeah. all the time. Yeah. Exactly. But you, you've been, you've had so many great like collaborations over the years with tons of different people. And are there people that you want to collaborate with in the future that you haven't played with yet? Or you have like fantasy band or people to play with? Mm, I mean, it's pretty infrequent that I get excited about new music, like people that I don't already know. Right. I feel like I'm very stuck in time or something. I would say that you're in a really good community of amazing, talented people. So you have a lot of a big pool to draw from. But you, there was this band that I found out about through a former student of mine who became a friend of mine and she makes great music. And she had told me about this band and it was the first time in years and years and years that I heard something that I was like, Oh, I just want a piece of that. I want to, you know, know them or work with them or sound like them had taken, you know, I hadn't felt that way in a million years. And that's such a good feeling too. When you feel really, who's that? Um, the band big thief. Yeah. I I was excited and then I wasn't excited anymore. So, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, I don't know. There's so much music out there and it's like, yeah, I, I know as I get older, I like I don't feel the need for like something new to knock my socks off all the time. It's like I could go into, yeah. I don't know, I could go deep into like reggae for a year and listen to nothing but that. Or I got very into roller skating. There you go. It was like my happy place. Every Tuesday I was going to the roller rink at night. Wow. They would have like adult night and you take lessons and I was trying to get better and like do better backward. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, awesome. but I was like so into roller skating and it feels really good. It's, it's actually considered to be good exercise, but also it takes you back to your childhood in the seventies yeah. and eighties roller skating was so huge. Yeah. Oh and just God. that, like, uh, that like nostalgic, excited feeling. So exciting. I can feel it when you say it. Like I, cause we used to go to birthdays as a teenager to skate, skate rinks. And that was the first time you would try to skate with a girl. I would try to find a girl, try to hold hands and you're sweating and you have one song, which feels like it lasts 45 minutes. It lasts three minutes, but you're sweating. And that's like the first contact I ever had with a human female girl. Ways the most memorable, exciting time of a human's life. I know, it's like so exciting. and the music, and you're trying not to eat shit on your skates yeah. while you're yeah. floating around, and they're playing the Bee Gees or whatever. So when I when I was skating all the time before the pandemic, you know, music just became about what's fun to skate to, and That's great. Yeah, so I was just like into Cheap Trick and ZZ Top and Joan Jett and The good Buggles, stuff. Video Killed the Radio Star. Such a good song. Have you listened to that song lately? What song is it? Video Killed the Radio Oh, yeah, that's The Buggles. They were kind of a one-hit yeah. wonder, right? Yeah. But yeah. that song is so brilliant. It is. It's such a good song. And it's also about technology changing. 
Totally. But so long ago when technology changed in this way that seems so quaint compared to now. Now you could say internet killed the yeah. I don't know what star. C D star. It's killed life. <laughs> killed the good times. I'd be love to work with cheap triggers, easy talk. <laughs> Sweet. There we go. Okay. We're putting that out there. It's basically just in the classic rock now. Okay. I like it. Cheap trick, ZZ Top. I could totally see that. The ZZ Top guys are still around, right? I think. Yeah. Also, I got in during the skate, my skate life, um, realized like, oh my God, I love this Bon Jovi song. Yeah. And it was kind of a revelation. All these different periods of my life where I realized I can like any kind of music. I don't have That's what to I'm share. saying though. Like if, like I don't feel like I need to hear the new six, you know, eighteen-year-old who's pl- making pop music because I could go and like listen to Cheap Trick for six months, and there's so much of there that you yeah. could discover. <laughs> and, that's so just, and that's just pop music from another time. Yeah, exactly. All the other genres you could dive into. Right, right. Um, I want to talk about my twin. My twin. So you wrote it clearly before you had kids and you wanted a twin. You In the song, you are wondering what's up with this imaginary twin. Well, that lyric, I, w- I remember exactly. I was like lying in a patch of sun in my apartment, reading the news, the old timey newspaper, which I still get on Sundays. And it's a lyric from a Bob Dylan song. I thought she was my twin. So I'm thinking of the twin is like that perfect person for you. Not yeah. necessarily, you know, an identical or fraternal twin. Oh, so that twin is like your romance, like your perfect yeah. counterpart. Exactly. Gotcha. Simple twist of fate. Bob ah, Dylan. There you go. Blood on the track. I still believe she was my twin. See, that song, Twist of Fate, was also written as Up to Me. Oh, okay. I think they're the same song, but he titled them differently. And Up to Me never came out on a record. But I should stop talking. I'm not a Dylanologist, so I really don't know. That's okay. So anyway, you were like, okay, there's this person out there and who's perfect and is my twin and yeah. gets into gets but into kinds of trouble, gets into yeah. a plane crash or a car crash. And so, yeah. okay. So it was more about like the looking for that, that yeah. person. So it just means you want to marry yourself. <laughs> Probably that's what Fred would say. <laughs> the perfect person is you. So my thoughts are about looking for love and feeling lonely. Yeah. And then after I had my kids, I didn't feel that way anymore. Yeah. And so then it's all, I guess all my songs are 
about relationships, but they moved into different kinds of relationships. I, I'm so fascinated to hear about that because I find it really hard to write songs since I've had kids. Oh, really? I, I've always been inspired by sadness, you know, trouble, blah, blah, <laughs> with it, with a little sense of humor. Like that's always just yeah. what gets me going. Laughing at like the, the supreme shittiness of life. <laughs> that, that's, that's super inspiring for me. And like, yeah. I think having kids is really fun and great. And I'm pretty comfortable. And like, I don't, I haven't really found anything to write songs about any since that's happened. Well, I, I prefer writing music. I'm still in, really into making yeah. music. I just don't feel the need to write words. And that's just me. So I'm curious what, yeah. Well, um, I just wrote a song about my daughter called Lemon Tree because we have a lemon tree and, you know, I'm always trying to think of ways to get them out of the house and off screens. And we had to, we had to trim all the dead wood, the branches from the lemon tree. And so she really enjoys going and helping and just clipping these branches from the lemon tree. that's where that song started and I couldn't really go anywhere with it out of meet me by the lemon tree for weeks and weeks. It didn't go Mm. anywhere. And then it finally did. And it's sort of like a portrait of her in a way. Um, And then I also recently wrote one about my son. He was kind of in, we were in like a six to seven, eight week crisis because his medication was changed, seemed great. And then suddenly we're in like a dangerous, really tough situation. And um, so this is, I'm not a stoner at all, but a friend of mine had given me butter he'd made with marijuana. Yeah. And it was in the freezer. And yeah. there was an incident with my son that was so painful and traumatic and sad 
And as I was kind of working through it with my son, I said to Milo, could you get me some butter? Because I was thinking I'm going to need some assistance going to sleep or calming down. And he put it on a spoon, like different little size pieces. By the time I got to it, they'd melted together. And I took all of it. Oh. So then two hours later, I was like, Extremely high. Something's wrong. Yeah. Uh oh. And I just went on this psychedelic roller coaster ride, processing what had just happened with my son. And in wow. the middle of like sobbing, I said, I'm just trying to remember how to save you. Oh. And that became a song. That's beautiful. Thanks. My That's great. My point is just that your point is you're now a, a marijuana activist. <laughs> yeah, that's where I want to get political. Yeah. Um, I think it's legal in California, isn't it? It's yeah. It's legal. legal yeah. yeah. You're good. I guess my point is just that like, I, I do write, I don't know. I feel like writing songs is sort of about observing and listening to the world. Absolutely. And then, and so I'm observing and watching my children and that's. I'm so I, excited to hear what you come up with. And I'll probably be, I've always been inspired by your songwriting. So when right. I hear your children, your record with your songs about your children, I'll just try to write some that are. I'll just tell you this. It's not a promotional. It's not, you know, it's not promotional gold to be like, this one's about my child. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly. I don't want to hear about it. That's what Insta. If you want to bore your friends about your kids, that's what Instagram is for. Yeah. <laughs> if you I'm, want to sell a song that you wrote about your kids, tell the world it's a song about a sexual encounter, and then maybe it'll sell. Yeah. When I when I went on tour, saying like, I'm a single mother by choice. I use you know a mm. sperm donor to have my children. Not a selling point. <laughs> Really? <laughs> for what tickets or for what? Um, you know, I I was so like happy for the first time, really. I think in my life, I was so happy and excited. I was like riding this oxytocin wave of good feeling, becoming a mom. Yeah, and it's just not sexy. And I guess the music industry is really about. It's kind of, it's always about sexy, at least if you're a female. I'm still like so taken aback, all the me too and this and that of all these girls, the way they present themselves, these singers as like, I'm so sexy. Yeah. Um, like, I'm just a baby girl. Like, oh. and um, I, so anyway. I yeah. don't know. I think there's a lot I'm of great, there's a lot of great grown-up music by women that's awesome and wonderful and isn't, isn't just no, about totally. them being yep. sexy. I mean, I think here's the thing, though. If you think about your favorite, there's always like a little bit of attraction that goes into you, someone being into a musician. Like, it is sexy, even if you're writing songs about your... I don't know. Being a musician is cool. Like, if yeah. you're doing it well, anything you're doing, you watch someone you know, who's the best pole vaulter or whatever it's awesome i'm <laughs> sexy about that i don't know no it's true you're right 
I'm just saying, if you're gonna write songs about your kids, just don't, if you want it to get publicity or sell records, you don't tell anybody. <laughs> Put my baby to bed, don't hesitate. Turn back the cover, shut the lights, pull down the shade. I'm halfway there, so tell him this. I cannot wait to sweet embrace my baby's kiss. Whoa, 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 don't make me. Do your kids do your kids listen to your music? Do they like your music? Um, um on my dad's birthday he passed away a couple years ago. So on his birthday this year, my mom had us all over to the backyard with masks on. Mm -hmm. She, she and my aunt are now vaccinated Mm -hmm. to celebrate his birthday. So I just decided that Milo and I would play one song. Mm -hmm. I was like, here's, here's a little entertainment pop. And, um, and I, we played lemon tree because Milo and I are sort of doing these songs as a side project that Fantastic. he and I do stuff together. Cool. And my daughter was kind of like watching from behind this tree, but I could see her face and I saw her singing along. So they basically have no interest in what I do um, musically. But then when I hear them singing along or, you know, like, you know, that, that they, it's in there, like, it's they, in there somewhere, yeah. That's and actually, sweet. recently, they've started saying, like, we miss it when you weren't teaching, when you were just a musician, when we could mm. travel, when we were going places all the time, because I used to take them on tour. That's an amazing experience for them to go on tour like yeah. that and go see you. I mean, it's kind of sad because there's, they just don't remember so much of it. Well, maybe it'll happen but again. It's in there know? somewhere, yeah. I'm the opposite of a perfectionist. Like, meh, it's good enough. <laughs> I love your process. Like with my the one experience I had recording with you, like I love how relaxed you were, but also you have just amazing people just taking care of business all around you. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Yeah. It Well, I mean, it's partly why I love collaborating. Everybody brings something different. I don't know. I just love that feeling like we're doing this together. We're making yes. something. We're experiencing something. Have you listened to our song? Our French song? Have I listened to it? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I love it. I mean, it. like recently. It, yeah, it, it, I think it holds up. I think it's pretty great. I was terrified, to be honest, when I recorded it, because we, we were in we Montreal. Mine, we also did yours, didn't we? The yeah, we did one. the cigarette one, which I love. I have to hear that again. But, <laughs> French one. Is that the one? That's the one where we both sang. Yeah, that's what and it's, it's your song. I, I don't even called, freaking remember. It's called Francais 1. Est-ce que vous, est-ce que vous, est-ce que vous comprenez l'anglais? Yeah, est-ce que vous comprenez le français? Yeah, um, that's français. And then the other, the one you sang on the Mellow Main song is called "Je suis une allumette."
getting back to that recording session, I remember showing up in that studio in Montreal, which was really great. And uh, I'm never like a singer for other people's yeah, songs, you know? So it's like, it's yeah, a real different why. skill. Right. Wow. Isn't it wild? Cause your songs just come from you and they're like built into your guitar. That's how I feel. Like if yeah. I'm sitting there with my guitar, I can sing anything, but without a guitar, I can't, it's really hard. And like, it's funny when I tell, I talk to some people and they're like, well, actually playing guitar and singing is a lot harder than playing, than singing without it. I'm like, not for me. Oh, I go together. So. They go together. You know, I can't Absolutely. do it. Can't do one without the other. I, I rarely, rarely sing and not, don't have a guitar. Sometimes my husband, his songs that he writes are much more complex than mine musically. Mm. And uh, he'll say, well, you don't have to, if you could just sing on this and not play. I'm like, no, I don't. That's not, I need, work. that's, you know, my part of the thing is I need to be holding the guitar. Totally. And are you going to do the grabs again? We just came out with a song in December on New Year's Day, I think. It's our first song in many years. Um, Riding bikes at night. Oh yeah, yeah. And you made a video for it. Yeah. The video is amazing. It's like all the people riding and like there's like yeah. 1950s footage yeah. and stuff. Well, I, I wrote to this my friend Manny, who's made most of my videos. Yeah. And he lives in Oregon now. And I said, In three days this song's coming out. Do you think you could Put a video together by then for no money he's like sure i love a challenge so what was the what was the idea behind political disco oh gosh i wish i remembered it would be good to have um steve here to because he co-wrote that there are very few people i've met in life that i feel a hundred percent comfortable collaborating with and steve is one of those people for sure steve gregoropoulos yeah so his he's in the band Lavender Diamond with Becky as okay, well. Right. And then we have the grabs. We always talk about it like this is a band and then we never play live. We rarely we rarely do anything, but the band's never broken up or anything. <laughs> um Yeah, what was that song about? like about the green grass and watering the lawn and you know just about quaint things like converse <laughs> cucumbers what planet the planet yeah it's about like conservation got it got it because um, i'm just gonna i was gonna say like you've not it's politics is not something you like gravitate to in your music i mean you have you've, you love planet like earth you love planet earth yeah, I guess you could say that's political in its way. My first record, there's a song called Nickel Plated Man. And the first interview I ever gave in my life, um, I told that person, like, it's a, oh, this is a political song. And they were like, what? Why is it <laughs> and political? I was thinking about it, like, I don't even remember why I said that. But um, I remember part. Part of what inspired that, I mean, it was inspired by a, a guy that I knew um, that I had a, a sort of odd relationship with. 
but it was also like at that time I lived in this apartment and people were going through the trash at night for recyclables. Wow. And I guess that was my connection to the political. Like there's a problem in the world right. if people are going through the trash at night to try to get by. I mean, if your songs are coming from a place of compassion and seeing other people and they're in a compassionate way, that's a political thing. That's a political yeah. act, in my opinion. I but, just don't know how to talk about the big things without yeah. it sounding wrong. Like in music? Yeah, like I don't know how sure. to... I could talk to all day about the injustices I see, and but I don't know how to say, like, write a song about like Trump being bad or something like that, you know? Yeah, well, you don't need to. <laughs> no. How do you think Joe's doing? How do you think old Joe's doing right now? You know, to be totally honest, I've always liked Joe Biden. Yeah. I remember in the 1980s when he ran for president and yeah. I was a teenager, I, I'm sure there are plenty of things that he didn't do right. I know he didn't do the Anita, Anita Hill thing right. Right. Um, but I I appreciate what he's been doing so far. It's so complicated. I was so excited about Obama, and then I was so angry that he didn't close Guantanamo. I was so angry that he didn't push Merrick Garland through as a judge. That, that to yeah. me, was his biggest failure. But I, Guantanamo but was then, pretty sad, too. But then, the, I, you know, I just was like, Oh, he couldn't have done it. He couldn't have. I think like right now with Joe Biden, you know, with the recent stimulus and Save America thing, mm -hmm. what's it called? Rescue America or American Rescue Plan. I was thinking about how come Joe Biden can get that through? Well, partially it's just that they have enough votes. That's but it. Why? Why could he? Why can he really do this? Why does he have the personality he has to be able to get things done? Right. And I think that I have to think that being a white man has something to do with it. Being a white man has something to do with it because Obama was really, really careful. But I also exactly. think that at this point, we understand that the Republican Party is a party of crazy racist murderers who want to take the capital by force and so like once that's what you're up to and like mitch mcconnell won't even do anything about it then you're like okay we're not collaborating with you we're done like this yeah. party's done Hopefully. they have no more credibility zero you know did you hear about the, the guy lou gomert or something who voted against 
uh, honoring the police officers who were killed. He voted against it? Yeah. And then he, he then floated his own idea, his own bill, where he doesn't say he honors them and just says they were police officers who were killed in January. So, are we going to hear this new um, Milo and Eleni album sometime? Are you, are yeah, you gonna I put hope something so. Does calling, it have a name? Yeah, we're calling ourselves Teardrop Ghost. Sweet. That's nice. Sometimes I, you know, sometimes my life as a musician feels like a dream. I know what you mean. I know. Well, it's a nice dream to have, but it's also, oh it God. keeps coming back. Whenever you think it's done, it keeps coming back. And what's great about making really uh, well-structured, beautiful pop music like like you do is that there's no age limit to it. Thanks. You know what I mean? It's not like you're making teeny K-pop or something, you know? No. But sometimes <laughs> it feels like, I don't really want to sing about bad boyfriends anymore. You don't have you to. Know? You can. You have such a large... <laughs> you have such a large discography, you can pick some. It is just fascinating to me what songs really stay with you. Yeah. And how many drift away. Yeah, and it's okay to get, it's okay to let some of them yeah. drift away. Absolutely. Some of them, sometimes someone will write to me and be like, oh, will you play this song? Hell no. Please forget <laughs> I ever wrote that. I mean, do, do you have any songs that you've re- recorded and never played live? I do. I'm sure. Because, sure like, first of all, they're too complicated, and we got way too up our own asses in the recording process, and then you can't really play them. <laughs> for me, uh, that's what happens. For me, that, I don't know. There's just, <laughs> like, there's one song, well, no, this does, this isn't the same thing as what you're saying, but this song from Artificial Fire called Two Faces, uh-huh. it had this sort of complex rhythm yeah. that the bass player and the drummer were handling, mm-hmm. and even Jeremy on guitar at the time they were all doing this complicated thing and I was playing like one chord the whole time. Yeah. For the life of me, I feel like I don't think I could ever do that again. Right. I don't know how. Sometimes you have to sit and learn and you're like, this is too hard. I can't do this. I know. Sometimes I have to send a song to Ryan and say, can you remind me what chords I was playing? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. You know, when I thought everything I did was so important, I kept better records. And now, now I just, I'm like, huh? Oh my God. When we moved here and I suddenly had to confront three records worth of two inch tape that were in my garage. Yeah. uh, I was like, I guess I'll just throw it out. Oh, really? You can sell two inch tape too. People And actually some... There are some songs on there I've never played live, and if I heard them, I wouldn't even recognize. Oh, them. you gotta you gotta put them on something. But luckily, there's this one friend of mine who's we sort of became friends through him coming to my shows, and we had mutual friends. And he came and picked up all the tapes so that I wouldn't throw them out. He yeah. came and picked, the, picked them all up and took them to our friend Brian Kihu's studio. 
And at some point he said, Brian will transfer them. Good. And yeah. I mean, maybe he will, maybe he won't, but at yeah. least it's, I don't feel responsible for, it, for yeah. it anymore. This has been so fun. And I hope we can catch up again more regularly. It's for sure. Fun. And also maybe we'll, well, I'll come see you next time you're in New York and I want to come out yeah. to California. Maybe we should collaborate. We should. I would love to. Let's Seriously. do it. Let's Anytime. plan one Zoom song. Okay. Yeah. So that's a plan. Okay. Bye. Bye, Lee. She's always herself.